BIP repository, and they'll request that a BIP number be assigned. If the proposal is sort of coherent and relevant to Bitcoin, the repository, the, the BIP editor will assign a BIP number and also uh, might, might make requests for, uh, you know, editing or make the document more clear. And then the um, document will be added, will be assigned a BIP number and the pull request will be merged into the repo. Um, I think the most important thing for people to keep in mind um, when they are thinking about what is a BIP is to just keep in mind that this is not a formal process for what is accepted and implemented in Bitcoin. If, if you come up with just a just absolutely like knuckle-draggingly moronic idea for Bitcoin and it's reasonably well-formed, uh, you can apply for a BIP number. And if it's relevant the BIP to, to Bitcoin and it's you know, well-formed, um, the editor will assign it a BIP number and add it to the repository. It doesn't mean that anybody is going to implement it. It doesn't mean that it's a good idea. It's just a uh, you know, formal process that ideas for changes of Bitcoin to Bitcoin go through before they actually uh, are implemented by anybody. And you know, the main purpose is so that when people go to implement a change, you know, they're going to add it to Bitcoin Core, uh, maybe wallets are going to support it, then uh, everybody knows sort of what the change is and you know, what it contains. Does that make sense? Uh, yeah, I think that was a very good explanation. It's fun, a lot of sense to me. Fun fact, the, uh, the BIP, if you go back to BIP1, the first BIP, which describes the BIP process, it was uh, proposed by Amir Taki, who is everybody's favorite, like just revolutionary anarchist. I think he took up arms and went to fight in uh, Rojava in Syria. Uh, so that's a little, uh, you know, deep cut from Bitcoin's history. There's something else that people need to know about BIPs, which is <laughs> yep. that they don't mm-hmm. get assigned in order. It doesn't go BIP one, two, three, four. They sort of get assigned according to like topic area. Um, and I don't remember what all the, the, the areas are. But for example, I know that like the drive chain proposal, I think those are like BIP 100, BIP 101, BIP 102. And I, I couldn't tell you what the other topic areas are. But just keep in mind that BIPs are not assigned um, sequentially. So it's incredibly confusing trying to figure out you know, which, which BIP was, was, was proposed in, in what order. Gotcha. So, uh, there's no ordinal system to BIPs. That's right. Um, yep. Roger that. All right. Well then let's go, uh, you know, let's, let's get into, uh, this particular one. Uh, so what is, uh, BIP 119, uh, or otherwise known as, uh, OPCTV? Yep. Um, so BIP 119 is a BIP, which, uh, takes an existing, so Bitcoin has, yeah, so when you when you have money in in Bitcoin, you don't have some balance which is like a number that goes up and down. You have a discrete you have a set of some number of outputs that you control. And an output has some value in satoshis uh, and it also has spending conditions, the conditions under which that output can be spent. The spending conditions are encoded in something called Bitcoin Script, which is a very simple programming language. Uh, if anybody's familiar, it's, it's, very, it's very similar to either Forth or PostScript. It's a very simple stack-based programming language. And you can use Script to encode the conditions under which an output can be spent. So one of the simplest forms of a condition is uh, the transaction that spends this output 
must be signed by this public key. And so if you have a normal sort of vanilla wallet, your wallet is going to hold a bunch of outcomes, uh, sorry, a bunch of outputs that are encumbered by uh, a spending condition uh, expressed in script, which says uh, that they can only be spent if, 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 a, if a signature that matches your public key is provided. So nobody can spend them but you. Bitcoin has a bunch of unused opcodes. So these are things that currently do nothing. And they're reserved for uh, future extensions to the protocol. So finally getting to BIP-119, what BIP-119 does is it uh, redefines one of these opcodes that does nothing. And it basically says, take the transaction that is like under consideration and hash certain parts of it. Things like uh, the order and value of the inputs, uh, which inputs are used, the lock time, the outputs, uh, who the outputs are being spent to, or like what the, the locking conditions of the out, outputs are, etc. So it, it takes the current transaction and it, it takes all these bits of it and hashes it. And then it says it requires that that hash match some pre-existing, some hash that's been encoded in the spending script. So this is a very complicated way of saying it, but basically it says the, the, the transaction that spends this output must have a certain form. For example, you know, which coins it spends, uh, which coin, sorry, coins and outputs in this case are synonymous, uh, which outputs it spends, which outputs it cre creates, uh, and how it allocates Satoshis between those different outputs. Um, the name OpCTV stands for, is op, which is operation or opcode, and CTV is check template verify. Um, the reason it's called, uh, I think the reason it's called, I forget whether check or verify, basically it's called check verify because it checks a condition and fails the script if that condition is not met. And it's called template because this sort of combination of properties of the transaction that it commits to is essentially a, a template for a transaction uh, saying this spending transaction must, must be made according to this template. Otherwise, you can't spend this coin. Does that make sense? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so perhaps one of these templates you might call uh, a covenant. That's perhaps? right. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, let's get into that a little bit. And I know Jeremy just joined, which is awesome. Hello, Jeremy. Thank you for joining us. Um, we're going over the wow. very basics, so feel free to jump in and correct us uh, at any point. But yeah, let's get into uh, what are covenants, Casey, and uh, how does it relate to that sort of template uh, restriction model you're sort of talking about. Yep, yep. So, I mean, uh, I'm using the word uh, template, um, but I, you could also say that it's a covenant. Um, I kind of like the word template because it's a little bit more friendly and it's a little bit more, to me at least, it's a little bit more evocative of what uh, the opcode is actually doing, but I think we should restrict ourselves to talking about covenants. So, yeah, it's a, a covenant is some restriction that is placed on some coins. So um, unlike, so a very simple covenant is the sort of spending conditions that I described before, where, for example, you can only spend if you uh, provide a signature with some public key. That's like a very simple covenant, right? It restricts how this coin may be spent. And OpCTV creates these sort of transaction template covenants where it, it restricts other properties of the transaction. 
So just to give like a concrete example of why you would want this, um, I think the classic covenant example that is, is used for OpCTV is that of a vault. So you have a bunch of coins. You don't want somebody to steal those coins, uh, but you do want to be able to spend them. So you send them into a vault and you use OpCTV in the spending condition for the vault outputs that you create. And the spending condition is that, um, you know, uh, these coins, once you, once you broadcast some like spending transaction, you can send those coins, or let me say this better. You can either send those coins to a hot wallet um, after some timeout, like two weeks, or there's an alternative transaction that sends those coins to a cold wallet. And so the idea is that the coins are in the vault and you can um, move them to, the, to, your, to your spending wallet, but it's going to take some time. And at any time, um, while they're moving to your spending wallet, you can sort of claw them back into cold storage. And the idea is, you know, you're walking around with your spending wallet, you do a withdrawal from the vault to your spending wallet, uh, but then it gets stolen by, you know, an attacker or malware or whatever. Um, and so you have time to broadcast this alternate transaction that moves the coins back to your cold storage, which is like somewhere that you think is going to be safe. So this gives you sort of convenience that you can get your funds out. Um, and as long as your hot wallet is not compromised or you have a week or two to broadcast this other transaction, your funds are going to be safe. Hey, uh, Casey, do you want to quickly define how that differs from child pays for parent or um, replaced by fee? Oh, sure. Yeah. So child, place, child pays for parent and replaced by, fees, by fee are both ways to um, replace transactions in the mempool before they've been mined by miners. So there's sort of ways to incentivize the miners to include one transaction over another. In some cases, they can be used to sort of prevent something that you don't want to be mined from being mined, but it's a, it's a suggestion to the miners. It doesn't restrict them in terms of what they could do. So in this case, yeah, you could sort of, you could use either one to sort of try to redirect funds, i.e. like somebody, you create a bad transaction, maybe you create another transaction that uses RBF to do what you want, but, but it's not enforceable. And then if, it's, if this bad transaction that you would like not to get mined is creating an output that an attacker controls, uh, then they can also use uh, RBF and child pays for parent to try to get, mo try to get the money to themselves. Uh, so you and, and the attacker will sort of both be bidding to try to get the miner to mine the transaction that you wanted. Uh, so you could, it's kind of similar, but it doesn't really provide hard guarantees. Hey, Casey, real, real quick, and um, correct me if I misheard this, I'm kind of eating right now, <clears throat> but um, I, I think I heard you refer to like a normal, like a uh, script pub or like public key script, like just a, a traditional uh, output encumbrance as a, as a covenant. I, I really would not consider any type of Bitcoin script a covenant unless those encumbrance conditions applied to future transactions. Mm, okay. Like anything just dealing with the the output that exists now that allows it to be freely spent. Um, I, I would not definitionally call that a covenant. Like the, the whole 
notion of a covenant is that it's restricting the the future um, spending conditions when you go to spend the existing output. And, you know, a normal public key script, you can you have to meet the condition of providing a signature that matches that pub key and verifies, but you can freely spend it everywhere. And the, the whole notion of a covenant is that when you meet mm, okay. any other spending condition, there are still restrictions limiting where you can spend it. That seems like that seems totally reasonable to me. I'm I'm not used to I don't think I've thought about what the precise definition of a covenant is, but I can definitely see where you're coming from, right? The covenants are like right, that like it's 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 not just that a covenant determines how it can be un it's like a normal Bitcoin script determine determines how it can be what how it can be unlocked, and then a covenant says what you can do with it from there. Exactly. Yeah. Yep, that's a totally fine definition that I'm perfectly comfortable with. Speak, speaking kind of in that in that field right there, one of the sort of often discussed features of OpsyTV is uh, these sort of like time-locked release of funds uh, with an example sort of being like at the beginning of the month for rent, uh, you know, you, you, can, you can get a, a set amount of Satoshi sent to uh, an accessible wallet. Uh, which gives you the ability to still access your funds when you need it knowingly, uh, but then also, Jeremy, sorry. I think your connection is is kind of bad. Do you I'm, I'm sorry, R- robot Jeremy. Can can you uh, put regular Jeremy uh, on the phone with us? Oh, yeah, hand, hand the phone my hardest. Uh, bummer. Well, just to kind of finish what I was saying, the the question there, um, you know, uh, how does this work? Uh, and why would a user pay the fee to construct a transaction in this way uh, to sort of limit uh, the amount of touch to their uh, cold storage wallet? Like, why is this advantageous? Why would this be a feature used? So one nice thing about this uh, OpsyTV vault construction is that they don't need to get their cold wallet online. Uh, in the normal course of things, their cold wallet stays offline doesn't need to sign any transactions, and only in the uh, emergency case does it do they need to bring their cold wallet online and sign transactions. So that's great. Your cold wallet can be super inconvenient. It can be spread under rocks in like six different national parks or whatever, um, and super secure. And you can, yeah, just use your Bitcoin more comfortably in a more secure way. One of the other, uh, you know, notable discussed features uh, is, is uh, you know, sort of lovingly referred to as like congestion control, uh, sort of fee marketing uh, or fee market throttling mechanism uh, that allows for, you know, distributing evenly, you know, block space fees. How exactly do uh, does OpsyTV Op allow this to happen, make it available? And uh, why would this be a good thing? Why would we want this uh, even fee market? Right. The classic example is you have an exchange and you have a whole bunch of users who have coins on the exchange and they want to make a withdrawal. Um, and they don't actually really care about, or they're, they're, they have various levels of sensitivity in terms of when they want this, these coins to be spendable by them. So, but what they all want is they all want to make sure that the coins will be spendable by them eventually, i.e. they don't want to con- like, before the withdrawal takes place, they're trusting the exchange to process the withdrawal. So instead of waiting, but let's say additionally, fees are space is limited and fees on the fees on the blockchain are very high. So 
how OPC TV can help is the exchange can make a single, very small transaction um, that uses an OPC TV spending condition. And that transaction is uh, broadcast and mined immediately with a relatively high fee rate. And that transaction using OPCTV sort of commits to expand into one or more transactions that actually pay out all of the customers. So imagine there's like a thousand customers. uh, They all want one Bitcoin off of the exchange. The exchange makes this one transaction that pays a thousand Bitcoin into uh, pays a thousand Bitcoin to each of these thousand users. Um, but it doesn't actually like create those outputs yet. It just commits to creating them in the future. And the advantage of doing this is that this initial transaction that commits to pay all the users is very small. And so the exchange can pay a relatively high fee rate to get that transaction mined immediately. And once that transaction is mined, there's still another transaction that needs to be broadcast for the users to actually get those funds spendable in their own wallet. But those transactions uh, no longer are relying on the exchange. Like they, they, You no longer have to trust the exchange that those transactions will happen. The initial transaction that was mined commits to all of those transactions. So those transactions can sort of have, happen later um, as users want them and, they, and wait for a uh, lower fee rate period to get those transactions mined. So just to clarify real quick, whereas now we have basically two types of or classes of transactions like in the memory pool and then confirmed, this would add a whole new sort of class to the mempool, which would be those committed by TV. Is that right? Yeah, so sort of. It, um, it doesn't really add the... You, you, you wouldn't say that it adds this class of committed transactions to the mempool because um, they, they're that the committed transactions are, you know, committed, they're mined, they're not in the mempool anymore. But yeah, it definitely adds this third class of sort of transaction state, which is, you know, this transaction is committed to be mined and it can be mined whenever, whenever, whenever anybody broadcasts an appropriate, uh, you know, template transaction that satisfies this. Well, I mean, Casey, I'd, I'd go a step further. It, it's just guaranteed to happen. Like unless that original transaction is reorged out of the blockchain, mm-hmm. it is literally impossible for those trans, the, the descending transactions to not eventually get mined because that originally committed output is only spendable through those predefined transactions. So as soon as that first one is confirmed and has a good amount of work on top of it, all of the ones descending from it are absolutely guaranteed to eventually confirm because by consensus, literally no other transaction could ever spend that confirmed output. So guaranteed just seems like such a strong word. Like, you know, somebody, for example, somebody does still need to be holding on to the uh, spending transaction, right? So if that were, if the, if the transaction that satisfies the template were lost and nobody was storing it, then uh, those, 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 those transactions would never happen. So like, I see what you're saying, but like guaranteed, like, man, guaranteed is a really, is a really strong word. And as close to guaranteed as it, as it could be, it's more guaranteed than a, a lightning channel state in that you can still try to double spend 
um, a lightning channel with different states. But when you're using CTV, there is no other valid way to spend it. Hey, hey when, you, uh, when you have a UTXO in general, how do you know that you can spend it? Is this a rhetorical, philosophical question? I, I, mean, I don't know. Sort you know of. that you can satisfy the conditions of the spending script? Yeah, but like until you've actually spent it, you don't know that you could spend it. Because maybe there's been some soft fork that you missed that changed the consensus rules or? Sure. I mean, yeah, there's lots of things that can happen or, you know, maybe you lose the key in the future and then you can't do it anymore. Maybe, you know, you're asleep for a long time and then UTXO becomes really popular and you don't remember where your, you know, where your coin was. Or maybe you, uh, you know, your wallet gets corrupted and then you go to like get it from a backup and you don't have the latest new descriptors that were derived uh, before your latest backup and like now the money's gone. So there's like lots of things that can lead to, you know, issues in this. And I think it's just sort of, you know, it's, uh, it's one new class of something in a space of like a lot of things that can happen like that. But it's as guaranteed as anything if you, you know, have the information available to you at the time that you're able to estimate that you can receive that fund in the future. Yep, yep. I mean, or fees get insanely high, like fees just skyrocket and you're never willing to pay the fees to get it to get it mined. Yeah. And then how would you spend a coin, you know, in the future as well, if you're not willing to spend the fees for it? Right. Yo, what is going on, plebs? We're going to take a break from our programming to tell you about the resurrection of our print magazine, starting with the El Salvador issue. Starting this fall, Bitcoin Magazine will be available on newsstands nationwide and at retail stores such as Barnes & Noble. Don't want to get off your couch, though? No problem. You can also go to store.bitcoinmagazine.com. So skip the line and get each issue shipped directly to your front door with our annual subscription. I'm talking four issues a year that contain exclusive interviews and profiles with leading Bitcoiners, actionable insights on the state of the market, breaking news and cultural trends, along with powerful photos and artwork from the best artists in the world. Subscribe today and get 21% off using code podcast at checkout. That's P-O-D-C-A-S-T, podcast at checkout. The world of crypto can seem like the Wild West sometimes. Soaring highs, crashing lows, celebrity shills, and new coins popping up seemingly out of nowhere every day. Look, we get it because we've been there before. At Bitcoin Magazine, we aim to filter out the noise and help newcomers concentrate on the signal. That's why we focus on Bitcoin only. Learning about Bitcoin may seem intimidating at first, but we've worked hard to break things down in a simple and digestible format that anyone can understand. Bitcoin Magazine has launched a free 21-day email course that teaches you about the fundamentals of Bitcoin. You'll receive one new lesson each day that covers a brand new topic as we guide you down the Bitcoin rabbit hole with quick and easy three to five minute reads. Not only do you get the free course, but everyone who completes the quiz at the end will earn some free Bitcoin. Start learning and earning Bitcoin today. Visit b.tc forward slash 21 days to enroll. Uh, speaking of the, the, the fee market dynamics here, uh, I, I honestly can, you know, maybe a devil's advocate here, see why people have an apprehension about any mechanism that appears to affect the, f the fee market dynamics of Bitcoin. Do you see any way in which this sort of throttling mechanism could negatively impact like this natural market for block space? Is supply and demand curve smoothing a good thing for the open fee market of Bitcoin? I don't think I have a super nuanced take on this. It's like, seems good to me like seems like uh 
yeah, it seems like being able to smooth that demand and avoiding spiky fees is good. Um, and and it would it would like a more reliable, less volatile fee mark fee fee rate seems good um, so that people can plan ahead better. But I haven't thought about it enough to think that I have a I have a I have a deep take on this. Well, I mean, like in the simplistic case, Mark, when you use something like CTV and congestion control trees, you're kind of locking yourself into a fee rate because you're committing to the exact hash of an exact transaction. And so that fee rate has to be specified. So all of the transactions in a congestion control tree unfurling, like that, that fee is locked in. Like Although, the only way that you could alter that would be with like child pays for parents if one of the outputs of one of them was like freely unencumbered to be spent anywhere again. But to go down a little bit of a, a rabbit hole, if you compose CTV with Taproot, in theory, you could have um, different tap tree spending paths that commit to different versions of a, a CTV congestion tree at different fee rates. So ultimately, you, you would either just have this blob of transactions that all have fee rates locked in that regardless of where the highest fee was, they would be in the same fee rate um, area of the mempool. Or if you want to go down crazy complexity rabbit hole, um, there, there would be the potential to have different tap trees with different CT or CTV um, paths and scripts so that you could kind of submit whichever ones you want um, based on the fee you're willing to pay and what the, the mempool is looking like at the time. I think you could also include uh, like a small anyone can spend output that can be that somebody can use to attach a child that pays a high fee rate parent, like always leave a, at every stage in the unfurling, leave a little dangling output that, that can be used to bump the, bump the effective fee rate. Actually had not thought about that before right now. Yeah. That would be a, a lot simpler. There's no bunch of different tap tree paths. <laughs> and I think one thing that's important too, is you can play with the parameters on anything like that, where you could do like, let's say there's 10, you know, branching factor per node. So then the overhead of having like one off true output is pretty low. Um, yeah, if it's one over 10. Sort of interesting. It seems to me that covenants are sort of restrictive by design. And yet I think there's a lot of fear about expanding conditions with a new opcode, bringing up these sort of unforeseen attack vectors. Um, do you guys see any validity to this uh, that could come from such implementation? No, do you not, think there's not any? with OpCTV. With, with other covenant designs, there are potential worries of things you could do, like get coins forever stuck in like some extra spending condition they could never get out of. But with CTV, because you have to exactly define an exact transaction ahead of time, it's kind of impossible to make like this general covenant that you can never get out of, but people can still spend money around. Because it's, it's not like you can have a CTV coin and then choose where to spend it. Like it's already decided ahead of time where it's going to be spent. So there's no way to do weird things like the covenant where the government has to sign off on every transaction you make 
and can deny it. Like that, that's just not possible to do with CTV. That's personally one of the things that I really like about the proposal is it's so narrowly defined and specific that there, there's no risk of, of that type of thing being done with it. I think it's also just worth underlining how simple op CTV is. It's a very, very simple op code. It looks at the transaction that's, that's being processed. It hashes some bits of that transaction. And then it asserts that that hash is equal to the hash that it got is equal to some pre-existing hash. Um, you know, it, it's not like a sort of weird, arbitrary, smart contracting mechanism. It's a very extremely simple construct. Uh, and I feel pretty confident that uh, it doesn't, like, not only is it is it probably useful and probably can be used for the things that people want to do with it, like that's like one part, but also like, let's say that there was something wrong with it, uh, then everybody could just ignore it. Everybody could just go back to not using OpCTV and, you know, your coins would, would not be effective. And nobody can sort of somehow force you to accept an OpCTV covenant that, that you didn't sign up for. Uh, if you send somebody an address, there's no way they can send funds to that address and also encumber them with OpCTV somehow at the same time. So it's totally opt-in. And if it's bad, you know, you can just ignore it. You think kind of going off that, this would be a good time to sort of define what a recursive covenant is versus a not recursive covenant? Sure. So a recursive covenant is just a covenant that is recursive, not helpful at all. Recursive meaning that you can say, okay, I have, I have this covenant X. And then when you, you can satisfy the covenant, you can do something. But then some or all of the coins need to then go back to Covenant X. So the sort of classic scary example of, a, of an evil recursive covenant was like the government publishes some address and says, okay, like every, every coin now has to be a multisig that includes this address. And additionally, whenever you spend from such a multisig output, it's, it's enforced in the covenant that it has to, the funds also have to have this, this malevolent government address as a, as a cosigner to the output um, so that the, the covenant can sort of last indefinitely into the future. Um, and OpCTV does not enable this just by the very, its very nature. An OpCTV covenant can specify sort of many steps into the future but it can't specify an infinite number of steps in the future. You know, after some sequence of transactions being mined, the OpCTV covenant terminates. It can't control what happens further down the line. Very cool. Um, I guess just to, you know, we'll kind of wrap up the first like half hour and then I think we should open it up and kind of talk, talk about the bit process. Just um, go but, ham, you know? Yeah. Well, you know, I hope everyone's sharpened their, their canines and their knives. Um, no, just kidding. Uh, all love here. Um, but uh, for me, I think I think one of the interesting par parts of this debate is sort of the ossification versus the necessity of invention and um, where we have to go if we want to serve, you know, say, five billion people uh, on the Bitcoin network. Um, so how could could this BIP allow uh, larger numbers of users to uh, open batch channels uh, for layer two solutions in, in, a, in a, a small amount of block space? 
How is this something that can help us um, scale? Hold on, just just getting my knife sharp, Mark. <laughs> good, good, Shinobi, get ready. One of the biggest shortcomings with Lightning is the limitation on opening and closing channels. And there is just no way around that. Um, if, if that bottleneck gets too large, then Lightning just hits a scaling ceiling. So CTV cannot necessarily... I mean, Jeremy can probably spitball and get into a way it could help with closing channels. Um, but as far as what, what he's got written up and designed right now, it could absolutely help opening channels. And it's literally just everything uh, about how a congestion um, control tree works. It's just using that, except at the end of that tree unfurling and everybody finally having like unilateral control over their coins, they're just lightning channels instead of all the coins winding up in a single SIG address. And it can be... Um, a lot more beneficial than just a normal withdrawal tree because once that initial output is confirmed, you can effectively treat those lightning channels as open and you can use them because eventually that tree of transactions is going to unfurl on chain and all get confirmed. And then those individual UTXOs that are lightning channels will actually be confirmed on chain. And so like, there's still potentially issues, you know, really annoying shit. Like if your channel counterparty stops responding to you, well, you can't go close the channel until the tree starts or finishes unfurling. But as long as your channel counterparty is cooperative, the minute that first output in the beginning of that congestion control tree is confirmed, to the depth that you require for a normal lightning channel, you can treat all of the channels that that single output is committing to as open and you can start using them. So it massively increases the scalability of onboarding people onto the lightning network. And that I think personally is like one of the, the biggest benefits of CTV. Like that is the most effective impactful use case that i think personally comes out of that do you think right now shinobi that bitcoin could service the entire world without an additional uh opcode or i guess just additional development beyond just current operational upkeep no um if, if bitcoin froze where it is right now then the reality is 95% of people on this planet are going to be using custodians. They're not going to be able to self-custody their own coins. And that's just the harsh reality. Um, I think that Bitcoin eventually does have to ossify to be a secure, neutral money. But if that happens right now, um, kiss the entire idea of an entire planet of people self-custodying their own coins and dealing with things in a self-sovereign way. Goodbye. Yep. I mean, if people get priced out of main, main chain transactions, that will that will certainly happen, unfortunately. Well, not certainly happen, but certainly possible of happening. Um, all right. Well, I say let's uh, let's open things up. Um, can I uh, can I ramble for a minute about uh, Bitcoin governance? Just yes. like can, can anyone stop you? 
No, nobody can stop me. Actually, they can. I'm not a co-host. <laughs> so, like, I think it's one really, I think it's just really interesting to talk about, like, what is Bitcoin's governance process? Um, and it's, it's very chaotic and very messy. And I think that that is very much a good thing. Um, Bitcoin is sort of like, it just has all of these different stakeholders um, it has users, it has developers, it has miners, it has exchanges, it has services, it has custody providers, it has, uh, you know, all sorts of people doing all sorts of crazy things. And like the BIP process is kind of the only formal bit of governance that Bitcoin has. And it's a very, you know, weak form of governance. It, it's not really there to tell anybody to do things. It's just there to sort of tell everybody the things that they might want to do. Um, and I, I think that this is actually kind of good. Um, if you think about any sort of like formal process that you might imagine for Bitcoin, some sort of like vote or some sort of board or some sort of like, like minor voting or, you know, proof of stake, horrible, whatever, like any one of those processes is going to sort of enshrine the ability to sort of ramrod through a not great or a sort of contentious proposal if enough people agree to it. Um, the current Bitcoin process, which um, Jeremy is currently like, you know, uh, up to his knees in, is this very messy thing where you sort of have to like explain your idea and uh, explain why you think it's a good idea, find people who want to use it, uh, explain to them how it can benefit them, uh, implement the code, um, write the spec, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, like there's kind of no one party that can ram it through or no like official entity that you can appeal to to make your change happen. And so that means that like, yeah, you sort of have to get this broad, nebulous uh, consensus of like enough people and enough stakeholders. Um, and if any one stakeholder, like, and by stakeholder, I don't mean like individual, but if anyone like major sort of, you know, group of Bitcoin interests really hates it, um, they can sort of stop it from going through to some extent. Um, and I think this is really good. Um, and but one problem with it is we do see, you know, sort of the situation right now where like, not to like editorialize, but I think uh, BIP 119 is great. I like it. I think it's simple. Um, and there isn't a clear path for it to get into Bitcoin, but that's kind of because there's no clear path for, for anything to get into Bitcoin. And like, that's okay. But yeah, also got to deal with, you know, some of the inconveniences that that poses. So yeah, ramble over. Well, to respond to that with another ramble, um, <laughs> I've like, <clears throat> maybe the last six or seven years, this is how I've thought about how Bitcoin <clears throat> air quote governance works. Um, Bitcoin is just a mob. It's literally a mob of people currently engaged in a mindless <clears throat> thing in one direction. And in order to change Bitcoin, you have to get up there and convince the mob to do something else without getting skewered alive. Yeah. And that, that that's just how that works. It's total anarchy. Um, you know, sometimes maybe you can beating your head on the wall for a long time, convince the mob to do something. Maybe sometimes you can get a small fraction of the mob to break off and go form another one. And sometimes you get skewered alive, but well, that's, I, maybe had, I, uh, 
maybe I'd interject there and maybe I'm interested to get your thoughts, you know, because it seems like a lot of the objections currently, I know we haven't really talked about controversy in this talk about controversy, but it's about technical consensus and the idea that, op, you know, CTV doesn't have technical consensus. Yeah, I mean, you well, also have the, the developers are also in the mob, right? So it's the that's what technical consensus is, is like talking to the mob of developers and, you know, uh, trying to convince them well, it like, seems what like the inference to do. Of like technical consensus is something that happens before user consensus, right? Like, I mean, it seems from like my reading between the lines of like the various sort of threads and telegram channels. Uh, I don't know if you guys would agree with that, but it, it, it seems there seems to be this overwhelming kind of voice or from the kind of older group of developers, uh, you know, that, that there needs to be some sort of technical consensus and then there's user consensus and then there's that order of operation and it's, and it's that order of operations that's particularly kind of in violation here. Like, hey, hang on. I am very certain that I have technical consensus. I am very uncertain what technical consensus is, but I am very certain that I have it for CTV. And I think that that's something that's like, you know, a weird position to be in. But there's not really a rigorous definition of it. And there's also not really a rigorous definition of like what thresholds to these things you're supposed to be seeking. And there are other parties that matter other than just like developers decided and now it's like something that's ready to go. One concept that I really like to bring up is in uh, in Judaism, if you are doing a, a rabbinic tribunal to decide if somebody should be put to death, which is a little bit like a soft fork, right? We're deciding if we're going to put the existing version of Bitcoin to death permanently. And we're going to have a new version of Bitcoin. Uh, if, if one of the people in that tribunal doesn't say that, like, this person should not be put to death, they get to go free. Because, like, every life has, like, some redeeming property that, like, should happen. In the same way, like, every software has some reason why it really shouldn't happen. And if nobody can come up with a reason that's compelling that it shouldn't happen, then probably there's too much groupthink. And, like, we've not done an actual job of thoroughly evaluating this thing because we all agree on how it should be. Actually, sometimes dissent means that people have put thorough thought into actually considering the reasons why somebody might not like something. And when you see too much consent, consent is not consensus. It means maybe there's groupthink going on. And when I evaluated CTV under this regard, what I saw was across the board, the experts who you might want to speak to about this, who've like actually spent the time thinking about this issue, all basically had around the same line, which is like, well, CTBO seems okay, but it's kind of a subset of the things that I'm interested in. And I'm not positive that the applications built on it will be sufficiently interesting for what I would like to build, right? So under that lens, none of the experts had an actual issue with CTV as an implementation. Any issue like, oh, this is going to break this, or I think this will have an issue with some aspect of something else. It was just, oh, well, like maybe I'd want something else in a couple of years. And that's not rival with CTV. It's just like, okay, well, now it's really a question now that this form of technical consensus, which is a form of acceptability has been reached. Now it's a question of, well, is this something, if you're, thing, if you're saying nobody wants to build on this, now is this something other people want to build on? And if people do want to build meaningful things on it, then cowabunga, let's go. That's technical consensus. Let's see what the market wants. And what happened in this case, I believe, is a bunch of middle manager technical experts popped up saying, "Re, this does not have technical consensus. This does not have technical consensus without even really defining exactly what that means. And that's sort of where people then got this idea that there wasn't technical consensus rather than actually making an honest effort at evaluating what other people had actually evaluated and why I was reading technical consensus from the statement of other people who are involved in the you know, technical discussion so far.
Well, I mean, to, to build off that, Jeremy, you know, what, what comes to my mind is the whole idea of rough consensus from the IETF. And the whole, like, basis of that has absolutely nothing to do with voting or number of people who approve or disapprove. It is entirely about substantial, like, material criticism and whether that criticism has been able to be addressed or not. And the entire notion is that if no, no matter how many or how few people raise criticism of something, if that criticism has been actually addressed and shown to not be valid criticism, then something is considered to have rough consensus. And I have not seen any valid criticism against CTV except we can do better. Yep. And if that's the whole argument, well, then how that that brings up the whole question of, well, how long do we sit around and wait? Like, how many times can people just pop up at the last second and go, here's something that could be better and just keep doing that ad infinitum before we go, this is enough? Now, hold on. Though. If, if, if let's just say most regular Bitcoiners were against and who cares about core whatever whoever the most influential people are and even whatever technical consensus means if most regular bitcoiners those people that hang out on spaces go to bitcoin meetups that you'd meet at a conference say you know what i actually don't like uh, the idea of trying to put maybe it's cool maybe it's not but uh you think that's not a negative you think that's just like who cares or or is that considered a negative to you in the uh, in the process of of consensus, I mean, at, at that point, then they can make their choice what to run or not to run, and that is the users' say. Who is not a technical person who is not going to get involved in critiquing these things? Like, I'm sorry, dude. Um, I used to be very sympathetic to that argument. After Taproot, just no. Like with all of the hoo ha about Taproot, and then after it was activated. Um, most of the people I see in this space have no fucking clue how it works, anything about it. Like they were just repeating marketing sales pitch, like nonsense without any actual understanding of what it can do, what it can't do, how it actually works. The, the reality is most users, they, they have no fucking clue how any of this shit works or the technical reality of it. They have their choice, which is what to run or not to run. In your opinion, that there's no issue, like there's nothing wrong with it, or is technical consensus that this is 100% good? Because it seems like that's also yep. an issue right here, right? Like some people think technical consensus means this is great, everybody loves it, and some people think rough consensus is there's no problems. It sounds like that's what you're asserting your guys' definition is. Um, or... well, well, I think at least in, as far as I can see it, um... I view like the the market and like the general, you know, set of of folks who exist in the space as determining some sort of roadmap of what types of way Bitcoin should be moving. And I do not believe that is a thing that is in the hands of developers who do technical consensus. I think developers read what the market should be wanting. Um, and, and I, you know, I'd ask for people like how many times have like you had a developer like approach you and be like, Hey, how can like Bitcoin solve problems for you? Like what's, what's not happening in Bitcoin right now? And what, what are, what are issues that you face that you feel are not things you can solve at the application layer? Um, 
And then that's sort of a thing that you read, you know, from, from the, from the ecosystem and then developers produce solutions for that. And then determine if those solutions are sufficient for what the market needs. I don't think that it's a bunch of people who circle jerk around all day and come up with like fancy toys and then put them on the market and see if they do well. Like that's, you know, to me, you know, you might all agree on what the thing is to put out, but really a lot of the process is in finding what the product consensus is, what people need and what's going to actually solve problems. And then determining if you can ship a solution. It's not about like getting everybody on board with the thing they're most excited about. Yeah. So Jeremy, I'm curious, I'm curious for you to agree with me on this. I mean, uh, and, and Pete, this ties into your question as well. So I think kind of in your definition of technical consensus versus product consensus, the line to me seems to be technical consensus is, can we agree that this new change does no harm, right? That there's, there's no downside, that this is like a fine solution to a problem and that, you know, it, it definitely doesn't harm any users of the protocol. I think that's like kind of like checkbox one. And then, and I, I do think actually CTV generally is there. Um, and then it's kind of like checkbox two, which is, is this the best where best is, you know, very relative dependent on what your priorities are. Is this the best way to accomplish this in Bitcoin? Would you agree that that's kind of like the distinction that we're in right now? Uh, yeah, I, I, I think so. And I think a lot of where that gets tricky is there's like limited attention and limited time and, you know, things, you know, even if they're not rival at a protocol level, they're rival in terms of what people spend time working on. Yeah. And so along those lines, like one thing that has, has been become pretty clear throughout the last, you know, couple months of discussion is on a kind of what applications do we think are most valuable for covenants to enable it seems like there's like general you know consensus being an overloaded word but general agreement at least that the two types of applications are um, vaults and then payment pools and so like kind of you know nctv does those both fine there's kind of working code for both of them in sapio um but i do think you know we've at least the overton window has successfully been shifted to where it's like covenants are good it's okay to want covenants and CTV is a non-harmful way to do covenants, right? And now we have, I think, this new third thing, which is co the covenant that we introduce should produce really good vaults and really good payment pools, right? I think that's kind of like the current state, which is, you know, to be fair, worlds farther. We didn't have any of that agreement a year ago, right? So the conversations have moved quite a bit, which I think is great. Yo, my fellow Bitcoin lovers, have I got something specifically curated for you. The Deep Dive is Bitcoin Magazine's premium markets intelligence newsletter. This isn't some paid group shilling buy and sell signals. No, this is a premium Bitcoin analysis led by Dylan LeClaire and his team of analysts. They break down in an easily digestible way what is happening on chain, in the derivatives markets, and in the greater macro backdrop context for Bitcoin. This newsletter turns volatility into a joke. So hit up members.bitcoin.magazine.com and use promo code podcast for 30% off the deep dive. That's members.bitcoinmagazine.com, promo code podcast for 30% off. Divorce your pay group and learn why Bitcoin is the strongest asset by Dylan and LeClaire and his team. Uh, I wanted to ask a question just when we're talking about like point one of, you know, it does not we're agreeing that CTV does not cause any harm. I think this has been answered 
Um, and in my rudimentary understanding of it right now, I, this is some, one of the things that I've particularly not kept up with at all. Um, Covenants and CTV lately has just kind of been this big blank space for me. The one thing that I, that I feel like a lot of the conversations on Twitter about covenants have been is this idea of encumbering other people's addresses. Like, like there, was a, there was a tweet today or something sometime that somebody was saying like, oh, there's a new law and the government says that you're only going to be able to receive that, Bitcoin. That's not and possible only... with CTV, guy. Like you, you, that's I, I, just that's... not possible with CTV. I, I know, I, I... You could with other covenants, but um, well, not yeah. CTV. I mean, I, I think that it's, it's a terminology issue. Double clarify, specifically though, the the um, the distinguishing between the example example because other people were saying, oh, well, you could just require that you have like a a government multi-sig or whatever. It's like, well, no shit. Like you you know, you got a law that said any stupid thing, right? But I just wanted sure. to, and it seems like this is obviously should be the case. But that if I give them my address that I generated from my keys in my wallet with whatever script I wanted and give it to them, it cannot be encumbered with any other CTV restriction. It's just my address and my control, correct? If they withdraw, if they agree to withdraw to it. Yeah, when, yeah, when you give somebody an address, you're that it's address, already encumbered with everything. Bitcoin, yeah, it didn't, right? Yeah, exactly. That address encodes or commits to the. Bitcoin script that will spend those coins. So they cannot pay you to that address without using your script, which means that you specify, which means they cannot stick OpCTV in there without making it essentially paying to a different address, uh, which is not the address you gave them. Like yeah, they're not, gotcha. they wouldn't in that case be sending you the coins. It didn't seem like that could possibly be the case just on my understanding of that. But because I didn't quite know, I didn't really understand how a covenant would work anyway, that you could encumber things later down the road. I was admittedly like a little bit like, yeah. but how? <laughs> so, it's um, but, well, yeah. so I think this is what a lot of a lot of the, uh, you, you know, uh, plebs maybe don't don't get is that they think they think that they've formed uh, a strong anti consensus set with the technical consensus committed bureau or whatever like that, like, oh, CTV is not the thing. But I think what's not really being realized or at least like clearly explained is that the reasons why, you know, general pleb kind are like, let's not rush this thing in. Let's think about it more is precisely because there's a worry about introducing some of these really sophisticated, complicated things that have massive social risk for what Bitcoin will look like. And then almost universally, there is technical consensus among the technical wizards that we should have full-blown pie-in-the-sky covenants it's just a matter of time until we find the one that we like enough to advocate and i think that people don't necessarily see the storm brewing around that question that it is not something as far as i can tell talking to a lot a lot of bitcoin users is desired people want bitcoin to be the sound money strongest store of value possible they do not care about having every possible fucking application what they do care about is having sound money and having it scale to the largest number of people possible uh without violating the soundness of the system and that's really where something like ctv and there are other you know there are other possibilities for things that can fill in you know gaps like that it is a waypoint of not introducing almost anything more than is already possible today 
with uh, worse trust assumptions, um, but still doing something pretty useful that's like a covenant. Anything more, and you do start getting into the territory that you're talking about. And, and that's sort of a, it's a difficult trade-off space, but I don't think people know why they agree to disagree over CTV. I don't think they realize that the way that the core development you know, process or te- you know, whatever you know, technical you know, consensus process is leading is into something that's much, much, much more complicated and has some of these negative trade-offs for like the what is Bitcoin question. Bitcoin is still going to look like Bitcoin with CTV. With these other things, it will you know, be a, a very different type of system. To translate that to pleb real quick, like anybody worried about weird shit, like the government forcing coins into some magic script where the government has to sign off on everything and those coins can never escape that, it is absolutely impossible for CTV to do that. All the developers arguing against CTV are not arguing against CTV to avoid things like that. They are arguing against CTV because they want more complicated covenants that move closer and closer to things like that being possible. Now, that does not mean that every other covenant proposal out there enables things like that, but that's the direction that technical developers want to go is closer to things like that being possible. And and the way that we've typically dealt with this kind of controversy in the past with Bitcoin is by being patient. If if enough people want to look at other stuff and see how it compares or whatever, like the thing that solves that is time. And one of the biggest things I'm hearing and one of the biggest reasons there's controversy isn't because I'm hearing anybody say like, you know what, screw CTV, we want this instead. Like I'm not really hearing that. What I'm hearing is really we need time so that people can consider other things and CTV itself as well. Like, I mean, sure, like CTV is solid. From, from Pretty much everybody agrees CTV is solid. But the thing that I hear people saying a lot is they feel like we need more time in general, even at general plebs. We just got Taproot. It's so short. And you can think, well, who cares? Like logically, if you're just being logical, like who cares? It's good. People like it. It's not like risky technically. Let's just do it. Who cares that it's not been a long time? I think people do care and I think it matters. Really simple about the like the 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 complexity of other solutions and the simplicity of OpCTV. None of the other things that have been proposed or are sort of uh, considered as alternative covenants have the incredible like bang for buck ratio of OpCTV. Um, OpCTV is just so simple; it's like caveman technology, um, and I mean that like in the best possible way. It has limitations. But everything that's sort of more flexible winds up being way, 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 way more complicated. I think even if somebody came up with a better, with a more featureful covenant proposal, I think there's a good chance that I would still prefer to also have OpCTV so that I could opt for that incredible simplicity when I didn't need those more featureful, you know, things of whatever some arbitrary future covenant can, scheme can can give. And that I think is an argument against why it's not like the sort of just wait and see argument isn't super compelling for me. It's that, yeah, maybe some, somebody will come up with something, somebody else after a lot of development, but that thing will definitely be way more complicated than op CTV. Well, I, let I me re- really quick to respond to what JC was saying, like Bitcoin changing is threading a needle. Like, yes, 
change should be approached cautiously things should be analyzed thoroughly and things should not just be done whimsically but just look at like pay to script hash cltv and how quickly and easily those changes went through versus things like segwit like taproot bitcoin is growing it's getting bigger and the bigger it grows the more difficult the more time consuming the more friction there will be to changes and it's just a simple reality right now bitcoin as it is will not be a self-sovereign money for people in the world it does not scale it cannot accomplish that goal as bitcoin is right now that is a pipe dream and we will see how finney's prognosis from 2010 play out if it froze right here right now everybody's going to be using banks no one's going to be self-custodying their own money nobody is going to have the freedom that that ability affords so it's threading the needle it's finding the balance between those two things we have to approach change cautiously and actually think it through but we can't just sit here on our ass and pretend like we can just wait forever because that day if bitcoin is going to work will come where it's just not changeable anymore and if it isn't scalable enough by the time that day comes then we are not going to have self-sovereign money for people that's that that's not going to happen i really don't care about like the last five percent of people I've, i'm gonna still be able to use bitcoin exactly the way it is forever no you no. won't jc that's a fucking delusional pipe dream so as a guy who tried to, I guess you could call it, coerce core in my previous life with Bitcoin Classic, I'll tell you, the, my optics are this. People gave the same, oh, we need to wait. Oh, it's like impossibly more complicated. And it got in because Peter Wool is a homie of everybody else. Jeremy is has pissed on a lot of people. He's pissed a lot of people off because... And that's just how the development community works. If you have commit access and you're not in the homeboy network, it's just a lot harder for you to get shit through. CLTV by Greg and Peter, they're in the homeboy network. It's easier to get shit through. That is just the nature of open source development, Bitcoin, Linux, whatever. The, the fact is this is more kind of developers bitching and pissing on each other than anything else, regardless of the facade of, oh, it's too complex or, oh, we need more time. That, that's that's the reality as I see it. I think the code's great. It's been fully audited. Jeremy's put the money where his mouth is. Nobody's claimed the bounty. Nobody really has shit to say. The excuse of, oh, we just got taproot. You got taproot because the miners were fucking paying attention. Most of the time, we're asleep at the wheel. I mean, let's be honest. That being said, like, that's not a good reason to not do something. And Jeremy and I have talked a lot about this, and it, it, it's up to him to self-market, and that's a big part of what this room's about. And so, in, in my opinion, as my history in Bitcoin, it, it's more about who likes you and the commit list and who doesn't like you. That's just kind of the politics as I see. Yeah, I think that's a, a good spot. Uh, I'm not going to close it out. I want another 25 minutes for questions from the audience. So if the speakers on stage don't mind, I'm going to start pulling people up. They uh, try and make it brief, you know, ask your question, keep it on topic about CTV, and then we'll uh, have the people on stage speak about it.
Can I say one thing real quick? Just don't. Yeah, go ahead, guy. And then uh, next facts person. of its controversy. I yep. literally think the reason that's drum up so much controversy, not specifically in the developer community, but just because just in the pleb and Twitter in general, is that nobody knows what the hell it is. Like, I still think like like we just barely I mean, how many years really did we spend just explaining the basics of Taproot? And like CTV has been a big like there's been lots of talks of covenants and stuff like on like the dev list and stuff like when like I go through all that. But even I have just been kind of brushing over it because there's just so much other sh- other shit to go over. Um, and so like I didn't like what was a very basic question was something that I really didn't know. And the na- very, very naive assumption of when someone says, oh, you can encumber further transactions in the future with what it can do sounds like it could be a bad thing. <laughs> so I think a lot of it is just yeah. like, nobody knows what the hell's going on. Like, like, and generally everybody's ignorant and nobody's got any time to cover all this stuff, except for the people who do this all damn day. So, so I think one, one thing I just want to add is that, you know, when I designed CTV, I literally designed it with that concern in mind. So I wasn't putting something out to then evaluate against oh, do we do good enough for this? That was literally what I had in mind. People don't want covenants for this reason. Let me make something. And that's why it's sort of in a little bit of a weird spot. And then in terms of timeline, like CTV, the like specification was finished like nine months before Taproot's spec was finished. Uh, and the code has been done since then as well. And a lot of it of why it was not, you know, more in the public eye for the last while was people kind of, uh, you know, I'm not going to say the word threatened, but kind of, you know, put a lot of pressure on me that if I talked about CTV too much before Taproot got done, that I was going to destabilize the process that would lead to Taproot. And it was going to be on my back that Taproot failed to get through. So I sit down, you know, shut up. I didn't make complaints that I wanted to make about Taproot. And I helped get Taproot activated so that then I would say, okay, now I can, you know, work on CTV. And now people turn around and say, ah, thanks for all the help, motherfucker. Get out of here. Get away with your thing. And it's like, dude, I literally just helped you get your thing through so that I could, you know, like help get this thing through. Like, you know, okay. And they're like, oh, but now the bar should be even higher. I'm like, all right, chill. I'll like show you more work. I'll show you more work product. I'll make it better. I'm okay with all that. But I think people just don't really recognize what the actual process has been from my perspective, which is pretty freaking dysfunctional for sure i wanted to uh hudson hudson uh, had had his hand up uh, a long time ago in the beginning of this so i just wanted to make sure you got a chance to speak there brother thanks so much uh yeah so i'm hudson uh, i'll do a quick question and basically my background is i did some politics stuff in dark coin uh was kind of early bitcoin but not super involved in the dev at the time because i was in college and then did uh ethereum uh, EIP, which is like BIPs, but for Ethereum, I was the lead editor. Uh, for like can you make years. sure it's just about Bitcoin? No, no other coins, please. Thank you. No, hey, hang on. Let let him speak. This is like a very respected person who's sharing wisdom, and I want to learn anything that he has oh, to share. Yeah it's, yeah, it's not about to compare to Ethereum. This is more just like a, I I like actually learned from like the BIPs process and stuff. So that's why I was going to pull into here. But yeah, I, I understand. I totally get it. So yeah, so basically, from looking at Lee Kuhn's latest uh, thread, where they kind of discuss, hey, what's going on with CTV. A lot of what I saw were people who were semi-prominent within the Bitcoin development community kind of shitting on Jeremy, and I looked into that a little bit more, and what really like bothered me about that was that it, just like uh, Marshall said – in fact, what Marshall said earlier is basically the summary of what I'm about to say, which is like – it's like an insider's club. 
like if they're going to tell Jeremy that they're not doing the right process or they broke someone's spoken rule, why can Luke Dash Jr. make like an alternative taproot implementation that they push out widely uh, and then expect that to go okay and still have all these very high-level accesses to GitHub repos they've had for years? It's like they like shush the crazy person and just let him do his thing because they don't want to be political or cause conflict. But as long as like people like Luke and others who are problematic within Bitcoin are allowed to have that level of leadership – that's kind of a symptom of a bigger root problem of a lack of accountability, a lack of you know process for how to get these things done. So that's just kind of what I was thinking on that. But uh, who else has a comment? Who's especially who's more into Bitcoin? Because why is why is this happening? <laughs> I mean, Hudson, I wouldn't say exactly from my point of view that it's like the old boys club and you're just in the club or not. I would just say it's more of a product of things getting bigger, the stakes getting bigger, and people being more paranoid, more skeptical, and just more analytical of people getting involved. Like, I do not see this as like an old boys club that you're either a member of or not. I just see this as having gotten to the point where the degree of trust and respect amongst different groups of or different individuals in this group who even with that that respect and that trust there still are very animus between each other at times and, and really get into it it just it takes time to build that kind of trust and i think the bigger bitcoin gets the more time that's going to take because people are going to be more skeptical more paranoid because the states keep getting not, bigger Jeremy has been a core dev for longer than damn near anybody else has a commit. That's not true. That's just not true. Well, and I guess the other thing is like even even like you can look at the analytics of it of like, yeah, Jeremy's had commits for a while, has had good code, never done anything malicious. But also like from the Bitcoin devs that I hear about, like they'll be in groups of people from different cryptos and talk to them and be like, yeah, I have this opinion so and so. And it might be either anti-Bitcoin, it might be pro another crypto. And then they'll say like, but, you know, don't mention that I said this. And, and it's kind of like in a vein of like, well, wait, why? And it's like, well, I can't say that on Twitter because then, you know, I'll be outed. I'll be outcast. So. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if I would have had Hudson be the first guest to bring up. But um, in general, I think, you know, Luke uh, has done a ton of great work for, for Bitcoin. Um, he's like widely regarded as like one of the devs that understands the system the best. And really interestingly, uh, it seems a lot of the rebuttals to the, or a lot of the, the source of the current controversy is actually people disagreeing with speedy trial as a method that we should push through um, upgrades, which was Luke's position to begin with, um, which I think is pretty interesting. Um, so, you know, like Bitcoin is definitely very different than Ethereum. Um, we have, you know, our ways of doing so. Can they be improved? Like, of course, um, is our logic behind the way things are? Yes. Oh, that's a great answer because, yeah, I, I basically – obviously I'm going to get like the worst parts of the drama with that, so that's a very good answer. I appreciate the perspective there. And unless there's anything else for me, I'll jump off and give my speaker slot to someone else with good questions as well. Thank you, Hudson. Yep, appreciate the uh, question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to reorganize. I'm going to reorganize some of the speakers, so uh, if I knock you down, sorry about that, but I'm bringing up other people for questions. I mean just in regards to kind of jumping off that last part uh... – do we think there's been any dangerous precedent set in the way 
BIP 119 has been proposed with speedy trial. Um, does anyone take that uh, that position? I am of the exact same opinion as Luke that speedy trial is a mistake. Jeremy, I said UASF. I didn't say speedy trial. I said when UASF. Like, <laughs> I, I do not like the idea of Bitcoin Core or miners or any like more tangibly definable group being in control of the activation mechanism for proposals. I think that begins to get political. I think that begins to move in the direction where a more and more identifiable group is perceived as being in control of that. And I think that core specifically and miners should not have any direct role in that. I think things should be done with UASF. I don't think Core should be doing anything but writing the validation logic for things. I think activation deployments should come from elsewhere. I do not think that miners should have a, a veto or an ability to cause something to activate or not. I think that users should be running activation logic and there is either enough of them to strong arm everyone else along to the point that miners activate because they do not want to see their bottom line hurt to the point that core flips things on in the next release because something else activated it after their initial you know, release with the validation logic. I do not think that these definable identifiable groups should have anything to do with that. I think that yeah, so. puts us in the road of capturable processes that can be used maliciously. I don't disagree with that. Um, and I mean, I think if you see and read the posts that I put out, um, I literally say people ask me for a UASF and I've, you know, like I've already committed myself that I'm not going to lead any UASF process. Cause I also don't think that a dev should, uh, you know, should lead a UASF either. Um, and what I said is, look, I'm putting out a client that can do this. Uh, it's really up to the community to decide if this is the client that is the right one for them. And I guess when, when you know, the question gets asked of like, is there an issue with the process by which I rolled this out? The question really is, what did I roll out? I rolled out a blog post with links to software people could build. I didn't go and say, you have to run this. I didn't misrepresent what that, what the, you know, action, reaction, consequence or anything would be. It's like, look, here's software. If this is the software that you want, that you think people should run, do it. Otherwise you should get, like I even say, you should get real loud and tell people why they shouldn't run this. And I think where it's been surprising to me is people haven't really read that I was inviting them to shoot it down. And then they're getting very like personally aggressive towards me rather than just like, politely saying like we shouldn't do the proposal that you put out which i i'm was you're clearly like very open for that for that feedback and now i think it, in terms of the uasf it, like it is more clear that that's the thing that should happen and if there's like something for ctv i'm a man of my word so i'm not going to lead the charge there but i'm not also not going to be like you know shitting on anybody who's trying to do that single like very yeah. brief word of clarification mark i would say like like jeremy just said BIP 119 in this current controversy is just following the process that worked for the last software. So if there was any troubling precedent sent, it was set with Taproot, not with what's happening right now. Uh, just to be super clear, Ryan and, and Jeremy, I totally agree with you. I'm just uh, sort of playing, I guess, a little bit of devil's advocate and sort of just uh, answering the questions I'm, I'm getting uh, from the crowd. I've, I actually had someone uh, 
just message me about uh, what are the cons of this uh, scenario. So uh, there's definitely a lot of people talking about a lot of this stuff, and that's the only reason why I brought it up that way. I'm not trying to frame this a speedy trial or anything going on here as a, any way dangerous or malicious, uh, more just bringing it up for the sake of discussion. Uh, yeah, I see it on my list for sure. A real, real quick <laughs> comment. I just want to uh, – good that, Mark, you brought this up, that we have to be careful. I mean, a bit of a hedging language there to – the biggest takeaway for me out of this whole saga personally was that one has to be extremely careful about the language that they use and this whole battle about the process and whatever, right? Um, it's very important. Like a lot of people in their minds, they have utterly confused the proposal itself with the proposal to how to activate it. There's very two different things, nothing to do with each other at all. But this goes deeper. Right. I mean, we have to be extremely mindful of the language that we use, but even it comes down to single words. Like when Shinobi was talking, and I just wanted to let Jeremy um, make his comment, we became, uh, in some sense, very much different, uh, you know, the sense of deferral to the core, core, and even the word itself, it evokes a certain feel that there's some kind of a center of universe there or something, right? The sacred GitHub repo that it somehow, I don't know, defines everyone's life. Now there's a trillion dollar thing. And it's like, I don't know, we should like build a pedestal and a monument there. And of course, everybody's respected and it's hardworking people and all, and they deserve the credit. But I think it was extremely unfortunate that it was renamed. It used to be just called Bitcoin client. And at some point it was renamed to Core. And I think that actually that was a very bad move. And on this basis, I'm going to make a proposal that we should rename it to Bitcoin dash center of universe and, you know, always refer to it as such so that everybody knows the center of universe is there and that nothing else can possibly can come from anywhere else. I mean, this sort of this sort of language in the supposedly decentralized system, I think, can be profoundly damaging. And when people don't know much about anything, they hear core and, you know, they think, oh, well, that's what it has to come from. Of course, that's the core. Right. And it seems like very logical, but that's just the word that doesn't really mean anything. Just the core of the software and the initial motivation was because we're going to separate like the network kind of part from the wallet part, which never really happened. And but we stuck with the name and I think it just caused a lot of uh, it amplified a lot of drama, I think, in many people's minds. Yeah, I think the next question went to Tao and then Last Airbender. Unless Tao, if you don't have anything, then Last Airbender. No, actually, I do have something. Uh, thanks for, for bringing me up. Um, just speaking from a pleb's perspective, like I'm just a regular pleb, got into Bitcoin a while back, but um, I do want to give my opinions and what I'm seeing. So what, what we want really is just sound money, some of the core principles that everybody knows, you know, self-sovereignty, um, no one can fuck with the money. And then also, um, one of the things that, that I noticed is this. I don't think it's, it's good to start implementing new features. The reason why I say that is not that it's not something that can be done in the future, but definitely not at the current state. The reason why is because most people, most plebs, are still just catching up to learn everything that Bitcoin has currently as it stands. This on top of the many people in the world who don't even know about Bitcoin. So it is not necessary to add new features at the moment. What 
what we should do or what I think the energy should be put into is what Shinobi mentioned earlier. And that is the scalability of the system, right? The scalability is so that one day, because we know that will come, meaning we know there will be more and more adoption. And as that comes, we're going to need to satisfy and be able to support that sort of scalability and adoption. So the energy really should be focused on that and not necessarily adding this feature or that feature or whatever feature, because people don't even know about the, all the current features right now. I'm just speaking from a plus perspective. So thank you very much. I think Tao had a great point in terms of you know making sure that the scalability is improved and you know continues to be improved for everybody who is users of Bitcoin. And I, I, I like that idea. And I also like the idea that, you know, change, like any, any change in the system needs to be incorporated in a manner that impacts and it takes assessment of all the users of the product, like this, in this case of Bitcoin. But in this discussion on this topic, what I have been seeing, at, at least I've been reading on Twitter about speedy trial only activating if the miners want and miners are, of course, a, a, one of the one of the main, in, you know, parties the whole thing like i think i saw a video from uh antonop i think his name is antonopolis i'm forgetting his name the right pronunciation andreas andreas yeah andreas uh, so he has a comment about potentially this idea that he's not incorporating all the you know the users the wallet makers the node makers and and he had like a beautiful chart that he created in a in a presentation on which i think Chun Satofishi picked up and another person also picked up and the questions were that speedy trial applied to the previous case of uh, this uh, taproot may not be the right idea because it doesn't involve all the stakeholders and, and that's the question I have for us because I'm, I'm relatively new to the idea of developing for Bitcoin. I've been, I've been holding Bitcoin for quite some time but not in you know not actively in looking at GitHub repos and things of that nature because I was doing other things. But now I'm going to focus more on my attention towards this idea of actual development of the product and making my contributions going forward. The context that I would like to ask all of us, who, all of all of, all of you who are listening, is is this right idea of having speedy trial only, but only the miners get to decide is something that I I think I I question that concept because it doesn't represent me because I'm not a miner. So how do I get involved? Yeah, I mean, of course, I I think if I can just, you know, answer really quickly, like one miners like do generally like follow like what's happening in the world and what people are saying in public sentiment. It's not like and at least 10 percent of them do. And if it or I guess 11 percent and if at least 11 percent of them are doing that, there's no way that something can activate under, you know, a speedy trial as long as you're not assuming you know, somebody's going to like reorg the chain, in which case it's like 51% of that. The The other side to that too, that's that's important to, to kind of keep in mind is like, you actually do have ways based on the, the signaling mechanism to not be on that chain if it happens. And you have a big threat of users to do user resisted soft fork. And I also wrote the code for that in case that's something that people want that conceptually does work. Um, and then I, I think sort of as, as a last bit of like, you know, just where there's like, you know, there's a lot to learn about and a lot of things and, you know, you know, what's what's going on, you know, with, with these things, have they been, you know, studied or whatever? It's just sort of, uh, you know, g- generally, it's really hard to, to know about everything going on. And um, like, if you want to, like, 
you know, say, well, what's the wide set of people who have been involved? I put together the site utxos.org slash signals. And I like, you know, suspect that that captures a wider breadth of the industry and of people in the industry. Uh, and when I say industry, I just mean people who like Bitcoin than was available as an indexing of sentiment than we had for anything like Taproot, where it's not really clear what the measurable criteria was when we when we said Taproot has consensus. Like nobody's been able to point me to like a specific thing that's like, oh yes, it's clear. The only thing somebody has been able to point me to for Taproot was was an index of miners who said they would support it. And I've not been able to see a list of like here are businesses that said they want to support it, for example. So thank you, Jeremy. And I would like to have one follow-up question, which is in the future, if there is a change that is need to be proposed and going to be merged into the master branch on our GitHub repository, what would that branch be that I want to build myself and run it like a node to make sure that I represent my vote? How would I select that branch? Is there a process like that which I can choose to say, you know, this change is going to be suggested to go forward. Let me get that branch tag, build my own node, run that node to indicate my vote, whether I support or whether I don't not support. How is, how is the process for that? What is that process? What should that process be if there is any? And, and if, if not, please educate me if I... If, you if want what knows. you want to run and what happens, happens. It's the mob. Like, that's just how that works. There is no process there. You make your choice. Everybody makes their individual choice. And then what happens, happens. So is there, a, is there a process that can be incorporated to help people make a decision, yes or no, A, B, C, what are the choices available, make different branches, decide and pick and choose? Is there, is there a ease of use for uh, slightly technical users for them to be able to build on their own and then indicate their preference by running that version of Node? You, you learn or you choose people to trust. Like those are, those are your choices. I think that's fair enough. So basically, you're suggesting I, I fork, create my own, do it myself. Well, I I actually did that during Taproot activation. Um, I forked my own custom client and started enforcing Taproot uh, from the Genesis block. And some giant asshole, um, Wang Chun, um, attacked the Bitcoin network and stalled my node for the rest of eternity. I was just about to bring that up <laughs> when you got forked off. <laughs> Uh, well, I wanted to thank everybody. We're, hit, we're hitting our 7 o'clock here, and uh, that's just about our cutoff time here. I wanted to thank uh, Casey so much for joining from the get-go and kind of going through the basics. Uh, I think we can all agree there's just a lot more to talk about and, and, and sort of understand about the process and specifically Jeremy's proposal. And obviously, of course, I want to thank Jeremy for uh, all of your energy and uh, being so accessible and willing to talk about all this stuff. Uh, and thanks everyone else for hanging out. Uh, as always, Bitcoin Magazine, check us out. Thanks, Chris, for hosting. Chris, we got any other shows coming up you want to talk about? Uh, no, not right at this minute. Uh, thanks for all the speakers. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Shinobi. Um, we'll have to do this again sometime. I apologize we didn't get to all the questions. Uh, but thanks, guys, for coming out. And uh, Mark, you got anything else or Q? Uh, can I can I make a quick closing comment? Yes, yep. I was going to say. Yep. Yeah, I mean, all, all that I want to say to everybody is that uh, this is the work. It's one of my main mantras. Um, and what that means is like, you know, people get really stressed out and they're like, oh, no, oh, no, you know, like whatever. But it's like, hey, we're in a common project that we're trying to make better money for humankind. And like, 
whatever we're doing, this is a part of the work, part of that process, answering these questions, figuring it out. Uh, like this is the work and it's all going to be good. Like, you know, we're, we're doing our best, everybody, and try to not like, you know, harbor too much grudge or hate. People are just advocating for what they believe in and just make better arguments. You know, that, that's sort of what it comes down to is, well, that, that's how we'll evolve to be the best ecosystem, you know, uh, and the best money system is like people making vociferous debate and moving on and like accepting losses, taking wins. Like that's what it's all about. Beautiful. We'll end on that. Thanks so much, Jeremy, everybody. Have a beautiful start to the week, and uh, we'll see you next time. Peace.